Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome again to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. My name is Dan Carson, and I'm thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue the conversation about student ministry. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to be listening to Session 3 of the 2020 Virtual Student Ministry Workers Retreat, where Chris Swain was talking to us about discipling students, and I'm excited to share that. But before we get to that, I want to thank our sponsors at Central Baptist College of Conway, Arkansas. Now, you may have a student trying to figure out what is next, or you may have parents saying, hey, help me find my student a good Christian college, one that is going to focus in on Christ as they look at the the subjects that every student takes, as they look towards that vocation. Central Baptist College is one of those places. You can find more information at cbc.edu. Now, the other side of what they offer is a degree track for you. Perhaps you need to finish your bachelor's degree. You never had that opportunity. They have what is called their PACE program that can help you as you step towards that. And again, look to cbc.edu. We'll also include a phone number in our show notes, so be sure and check that out. Well, as many of you know, Chris Swain, our speaker from our 2020 Virtual Student Ministry Workers Retreat, uh, went home to meet his Savior on July the 15th. And we're all very saddened by that. And so I'd encourage you to pray for his wife, for his kids, for his church family, and even Pastor Robbie Gallaty. Those guys were close there at Long Hollow Baptist Church. And we are, again, just very saddened by that. We're so thrilled, though, that he gave us uh, the audio and video from our virtual retreat so that we could share that. And it's on our YouTube channel. But we're sharing session three today so that you'll have a chance to hear about that. And as you look towards the fall and the school year and you're trying to decide, how do I disciple my students better? That's what he is going to be sharing. And so just encourage you to listen today as as we hear from Chris Swain. Well, I want to thank you again uh, for walking through these sessions as we navigate discipling students. And one of the things I'm so excited about as we work through these sessions together is that I truly believe making disciples of students is the key to successful student ministry. And I think for years we've done a lot of things, but we haven't made disciples. As a matter of fact, in my own personal story, I can tell you uh, I was challenged after 18 years as a believer to really make disciples. And the interesting thing for me was I had not been making disciples. Sure, I had discipled some people here and there, but I had not intentionally, even as a church staff member, been making disciples. And so my encouragement to you today is after you've listened through some of this stuff, you've walked through the nuts and bolts of, of what Jesus did to make disciples and how we can emulate that in our ministry is that you will begin to navigate what this looks like for your own church, for your own life as a disciple maker following Jesus. 
to make disciples. And so this final session, I want us to walk through moving from meeting to multiplying. And the challenge with making disciples of students is that we often want to invest in them and enjoy life with them, navigate milestones with them. All of that stuff is great. But we obviously want to teach them, knowing what Jesus has called us to do in the Great Commission, to multiply their own lives. And to do that, they need to understand, really, we need to understand as leaders, so we can invest this into our students, what it means to have a heart for multiplication. And it really starts with 2 Timothy 2.2, and I'm just going to read it to you. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, right? So we have all these different uh, multiplication elements happening here, right? What you have heard from me. So we have that one individual. We got Paul here in the presence of many witnesses. So we have you, Timothy, me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses. We have these other people who have heard this commit to faithful men, right? So we've got Paul, we've got Timothy, we've got faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we see four generations of multiplication in this single statement. And I would argue that what Jesus did with the disciples for the time he spent with them and what Paul is doing here, and, and as we look at all of these individuals who have walked with Jesus, who have followed his plan to make disciples, it's multiplication. It's, that's the key. We can add people to ministry as we go, but multiplication is the reason that you and I are here today as believers is because the disciples obeyed Christ's command, right? And so as we walk through this, I want to just kind of navigate what I would call five secrets to get healthy and multiply. And as a student leader, I know we're looking for insights and none of these are going to blow your mind, but I do think they're going to help you think back maybe to when you first heard something or when you first begin to follow Christ or, or maybe just something that will jar memory to say, this is what we, what we should be about as we multiply our lives as disciples. And so the first one is this, multiplication is not an action, it's an outcome. Multiplication is not an action, it's an outcome. Multiplication is not something we do, it's something that is a result of something else that we've done. Now, we talked about discipleship groups before. Obviously, that's what I'm thinking of when I say it's an outcome. It's an outcome of that investment of time. Um, think with me, if you will, about the Super Bowl. I'm a big-time uh, fan of the NFL. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I'll just go ahead and admit it right out the gate. But back in Super Bowl 35, um, it featured Baltimore uh, versus New York. So you have the Giants versus the Ravens in Super Bowl 35. Now, the Ravens won the game. They won the Super Bowl, and this wasn't that long ago. But can anyone tell me who the quarterback of the Ravens were, were that year uh, that they won the Super Bowl against the Giants, right? It was Trent Dilfer. Now, nothing against Trent, but he's not a very popular quarterback. Like, there are not a lot of Trent Dilfer jerseys floating around. He's, he's not the guy you're going to hold up and say he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Anyone who knows anything about football knows that team won, yes, with Trent, but it won because of some other reasons, right? It won probably because of defense, 
but the quarterback was not necessarily a big reason that they would say we won the Super Bowl. And the proof in that is that he didn't even come back the next year, right? So when you cut your quarterback the year you win a Super Bowl, you know he probably was not integral to the game plan. So we had this healthy process here, right? They had a team that had an incredible process leading them to win a Super Bowl, but they had a, a subpar player. They, again, they ended up cutting him. He was okay, but he wasn't a Super Bowl caliber guy. What did they get out of it? They got one Super Bowl, right? Next, Super Bowl 30 featured my favorite, the Dallas Cowboys versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the Cowboys won this game. It was their third Super Bowl win in the 90s. But does anyone remember who the coach was of the Dallas Cowboys team that beat the Steelers? It was Barry Switzer. Now, if you're a Cowboys fan, you might know that. If you're an NFL fan, you might know that. But that's probably not uh, you know, big news to most people. Um, he is actually the shortest tenured NFL coach to win a Super Bowl. He had the same players as the back-to-back -back champion team had, you know, two, three, four years prior, but he had a different process because he was a different kind of leader. So what we have here is healthy players, right? That team was incredible with a subpar process, and that got them one Super Bowl under Barry Switzer, right? So on the one hand, we have uh, an incredible process that produced one Super Bowl. On the other hand, we had an incredible uh, group of players that won a Super Bowl. But think about the last 18 years. There's been a team that has won six Super Bowls, right? Why did they do it? It's, it's the Patriots. I'll go ahead and give you the answer if you didn't know already. Um, because they have incredible players and they had an incredible process. One of the greatest coaches in Bill Belichick, right? So they had both of these things working in their favor. And, and the reason I want to talk about this is because this is multiplication. Multiplication happens when you have a healthy process and a healthy leader. Think of yourself as a leader. Think of your ministry strategy as your process. An unhealthy process plus an unhealthy leader is gonna result in division. Why? Because you're gonna have exponential loss due to lack of health. You don't have a healthy leader and you don't have a healthy process. Likewise, a healthy process with an unhealthy leader is gonna give you addition. You know, if this process works, great. We're gonna do okay, but if we don't have a healthy leader, we're just gonna kinda of add people you know, we're not, we're not really going to explode. Now, an unhealthy process with a healthy leader is going to lead to subtraction. Why? Because a healthy leader will eventually understand the process is unhealthy and they will course correct. They will fix the process or they'll leave. And then finally, as I said before, a healthy process with a healthy leader leads to multiplication. Exponential growth due to substantial health on both of those facets. So multiplication is an outcome. We see multiplication as the outcome of healthy leadership, that's you, and a healthy process that you've implemented. Hopefully we've learned some things today to make your process even healthier uh, than it has been. So multiplication is proof. Multiplication is proof. How effective has this process been? Well, we've got multiplication. It's proof that the process is healthy. Multiplication is fruit. Think about that. Multiplication is the fruit of living the life God has called us to live, of making disciples the way Jesus has told us to make disciples. Here's the problem. Think about this. We have improperly connected multiplication to our ministry methodology. When we, you know, we build multiplication in, it leads to this next secret. So think about this. 
Number two, we, secret number one, you know, multiplication is an outcome, not an action. Secret number two, ministry doesn't make disciples. Think about this. Disciples make disciples. So we cannot hang our hat on an incredible process. Everything I talked about with the discipleship group, everything I talked about with how we should view the Great Commission and implement disciple-making strategies in our church, that's all great. It's all good stuff. But it in and of itself will not make disciples. It will not create multiplication. Only disciples can make disciples. Only disciples can multiply, right? So we want to have a great process, but we can't have a great process devoid of individual people doing what Christ has called us to do. I mean, think about it. We're not called and equipped to implement processes. This is going to be a challenge for some of you as student leaders, right? We're not called and equipped to implement processes that run by themselves to deliver outcomes. Okay, this is like somebody sitting at a computer working in Excel. That's their job. What is our job? We must invest in students. We must engage students. We must equip students. We must navigate the messiness of relationships in the lives of our students. That's how we're going to successfully and effectively multiply not just our ministry, but the people in our ministry. I mean, think about this. You should never operate solely by GPS, right? I don't know if any of you have ever watched The Office, but one of my favorite episodes is uh, they're kind of driving down the road and Michael's listening to GPS and is telling him to turn right. And Dwight sees that they're about to drive into a lake, but Michael's like, nope, she's telling me to turn right. I got to do it. And literally drives into the lake and then the car is underwater and they're trying to get out of it. That is what we do a lot of times in ministry, isn't it? A GPS is an interesting piece of technology. We enter a destination, right? And it tells us how to get to that destination. And literally within seven yards of that destination, these satellites can tell us where to go. I would argue I couldn't get anywhere in the world if I didn't have a GPS, right? I can't imagine using a paper map, and I absolutely couldn't imagine using no map and just trying to figure it out on you know, road signs and uh, where the sun is at in the sky and, and however they did it back before technology existed, okay? So GPS is something I use uh, all the time. Um, Recently, I went on a four-hour road trip, right? And this was going to be just a quick, hey, we're going to take this road trip. We're going to do, we're going to hang out. We're going to speak. We're going to connect with some people, and we're going to drive back. So we got on this trip, and within the first hour of the trip, we hit standstill traffic. And we're sitting in this traffic for an hour. We went two miles. In one hour, we went two miles, and we inched along the highway until we spotted the culprit for the slowdown. Is this giant truck was turned over. It was hauling tires and it was on fire. Like it was the worst kind of scenario. It's like, here's a giant truck with an open bed of tires and they're on fire. And you know how tires are, they burn forever. Or maybe you didn't know that. I learned it on this trip, right? Um, that's going to put a stop on you. Well, what happened as this car goes lining the road and as this burning is happening, um, I, I thought back to the GPS, the GPS didn't know about the burning tires, right? It just was telling us where to go. Now, as GPS has evolved over time, it's changed, it's shaped a little bit differently. Maybe use maps, maybe use Google Maps. Well, a newer one, which I guess it's not that much newer now, but a newer technology one called Waze was developed with a different methodology. So GPS is like, hey, here's satellite telling me where I go. Here's the road. I'm going to drive down it. Well, Waze started crowdsourcing, right? Finding out what's going on on the ground to tell people how to go. So with Waze, you have people going, hey, there's a burning truck 
uh, here it's shutting down traffic you need to listen to what we're doing so you know the original Google Maps and and even the Maps app for Apple right they're just they're working on technology from satellites they're not really using that traffic around now most of them have come the way of ways because they see how powerful it can be but think about it when it comes to our ministry and specifically to multiplication we treat it like GPS right we we kind of put these data points in and we hope that success happens on the other side if we have Wednesday night if we have great worship if we have a good message if we have this event if we have these leaders if we focus on the right things we're gonna have the right outcome um, but maps built their app on data points while Waze built their app on people think about that the more accurate and effective process was built on people and I would argue our ministries are exactly the same way we're gonna be more effective in helping students multiply when we build our ministry on the students and not on a particular metric for ministry not on a model that we pick up somewhere and say okay let's call it this let's do these things it's gonna produce that no we need to look at our students and remember that they are the ones that Christ is discipling who will then be equipped to go and make disciples. We should not build our ministry on data points. That's, that's the goal here. If we want multiplication, um, they're, they're definitely helpful, sure, but they aren't people. The disciples are the process. The students in your ministry are the process. Ministry without people is meaningless. Think about that. The gospel is not a business plan right? It's so easy for us in the year 2020 to, with the way our culture is to look around and say, let's implement all this stuff into ministry and go down the road in that direction. That's not how Jesus intended it. And I would argue that's not how we're going to effectively multiply. We need to invest in our people because ministry without people is meaningless. Secret number three, multiplication cannot be rushed. Multiplication cannot be rushed. Listen, there's no fast track plan for success. The number one question I get when I start talking about discipleship groups, when we start talking about the discipleship pathways, and when we start talking about how to take students from ministry to multiplication, right, is how do I do this quickly? The reality is multiplication is the result of health. And health isn't something you just snap your fingers and you arrive at, right? Health takes time. I mean, think about this. Uh, years ago, I was leading a ministry and I got there and we had almost 2,000 people. We had about uh, seven groups. And this is Sunday school classes, if you will, right? And I remember getting there thinking, okay, let's grow these groups. So I, I began to work hard, connect with people, make calls, and just try to get as many people as I could involved in leading a group. We called them a life groups at this church. And in the course of three months, listen, we went from seven groups to 53 groups. That's pretty incredible. That's, that's some huge growth, right? But here's the reality. Those groups did not last. And not only that, what was taking place in those groups was great for the short term, but they didn't translate to the long term. So I worked quickly. I saw some great results immediately, but the long-term win was not there. Why? You don't get fit in a day, right? You don't wake up one day and say, you know what? Today, I'm going to lose, you know, looking at me, 30 pounds, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to blow up these biceps here today. I'll see you at the end of the day when I've arrived there, right? It takes time. It takes investment. You're not going to get fit in a day, and you're not going to move to multiplication in a short, quick amount of time. It's going to take investment. It's going to take 
working with the people that you have, the students that you have, investing in them. The problem with our culture is we are more committed to hurry than we are to Jesus. Think about that. We are more committed to hurry than we are to Jesus. We have to kill the idol of speed in our lives. You have to kill the idol of speed in your ministry. Everything about us says, man, I want to get there as fast as I can, as quickly as I can. I want my ministry, ministry to grow as quickly as it can. I want multiplication to happen as quickly as it can. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. We all want things to happen fast, but health does not happen fast. And so we have to slow down. We have to realize that urgency can be good, but um, we, we can't you know, sacrifice our ministry on the altar of hurry when we know what God is calling us to is going to take time. Now, I know it's tough to go to a pastor or even a student pastor, whatever level of volunteer you are, whatever level of service that you're in, and I was a student leader, and say, hey, it may take us a year. It may take us two years to get there, but here's the goal. We want a sustainable, discipleship-driven, multiplying ministry that is reaching our students who are then going and reaching those around them. It's not going to happen next week. It's not going to happen in six months. Let me be honest. It's probably not going to happen in one year. We have to be willing to wait. And I would argue Jesus once again gave us, if he didn't come to this earth and say, you know what, in nine months, I'm going to turn it all upside down. He spent years doing ministry. He spent a long time investing in the disciples. And the reason is because he knew what you and I, we know that health takes time. Multiplication is going to take time. Secret number four, multiplication sustains life. Multiplication sustains life. Think about this. Without multiplication, groups die. Think about your Sunday school. You're, if you're doing discipleship groups already, think about your discipleship groups, your small groups. Those will die over time if they don't multiply. The average group lasts uh, 24 months, I believe is the average group time, 18 to 24 months. So if groups aren't lasting that long, what's happening? Well, they're not multiplying. They don't have a, a built-in intrinsic desire to know that there's more to this than just us. It's that inward focus, right? And so I don't think I have to argue with any of you that we want to see more multiplication. The challenge is how? How do we see more multiplication? Well, when we know that multiplication sustains life, we have to think about how life-giving it is, right? Um, think about this. When I say an average lifespan of groups is 24 months, a couple years, right? You might say, well, that's not great, right? We've had groups that have been meeting for, you know, 15 years. Well, I would argue those groups may have already died, right? <laughs> they may still be meeting, but there's no vibrance, acts to uh, life driving uh, in the heartbeat of that group. Because the reality is meeting together is not life. Meeting together is not life. What life is, is what we see in Acts 2.42, right? It's the Word of God. It's fellowship with one another. It's breaking bread together. It's praying for one another, bearing each, uh, bearing each other's burdens. It's being unified together as a body of believers for the cause of Christ. That's what life looks like. And there's nothing about those things I just mentioned that hinder us from multiplying. I'm not saying we can't stay in groups for a long period of time. I'm saying there's always going to be that heartbeat to send out. There's going to be that heartbeat of people in that group as we pursue and follow Christ to be sent to grow groups. 
And one of the beauties of the discipleship group model is that's the component where multiplication can happen. So even if your life groups or your Sunday school stay together longer, it's okay because multiplication is happening in your discipleship groups. Um, Acts 2.46, again, as we walk through, all, if, if you look, want to look at a great model for small groups or life groups, Sunday school, it's Acts 2, right? And we see in this passage that there are pillars of a healthy group. And those pillars I just mentioned, the prayer, the breaking of bread, um, all of those things help us understand how groups can multiply. But those are the pillars of a healthy group. This is what we want to see. This is the type of multiplication we want to have. We, we don't want to multiply things we don't want to see, right? <laughs> That's the type of, think about your worst group or your worst experience in ministry. You don't want to see more of that. So we need that baseline. And so that's going back to that discipleship group model we talked about further, which leads us to our final secret um, when, we, when we think about moving to uh, multiplying, right? Multiplication requires a new paradigm. Multiplication requires a new paradigm. Now, if you're like me, you have these trigger words right now, right? And these trigger words are new normal. I am so sick of hearing the term new normal. I don't ever want to hear that term again in my life, right? Uh, this season. I mean, I, I don't want to hear the term this season anymore, right? <laughs> the, um, new paradigm is another one. And I'm saying it right now. I hear these terms and immediately I'm like, golly, uh, our current culture with this pandemic happening has done so much uh, to frustrate in so many ways. But I'm, I'm, I'm sick of hearing some of these terms. But the reality is when it comes to multiplication, we cannot look at it the way we've looked at it in the past. Multiplication will not come as a result of us telling people they need to do it. Think about yourself as a leader. Surely you've told students, hey, we need to, we need to be trying to think of multiplying, of sharing gospel, being evangelistic, of seeing our life reproduced in the life of us. You, you made these statements before, right? But that doesn't result in multiplication. Just telling people that they need to do it. We have to create a new culture. And that's what's more difficult, especially in our current paradigm. Again, that trigger word, the current world that we're living in, this pandemic environment that many of us are facing some challenges, some of us are facing other challenges, some of us can't meet, some of us have been meeting, some of us are having to stop meeting. Whatever, wherever you're at in this mess, there's this whole idea that what do I do now? Well, here's the reality. We talked about it before. Language creates culture. If you were to go back and take a look at your materials your communications, your teachings, your trainings, your sermons, all of these things add up to provide you with the culture that you currently have. So as we've talked about before, as language creates culture, these things that you've built, they create the culture that you currently have. And so when we talk about a new paradigm, you can't have a new paradigm without having a new culture. And within this new culture, you have to determine what metrics for success you want to use. We are responsible for the culture that we built. So how, we make, how do we make change? We look at new metrics for success. And the way we celebrate success and how we gauge growth are critical metrics. Because you can ask yourself, what is the win? I would argue for most ministries, an example would be invite a friend. That's a win. Again, we mentioned earlier, but we tell our students, hey, if you could just bring someone with you, that's the highest point at which you can serve the Lord. I was in that type of ministry as a teenager. That's how I felt about myself. 
If I don't bring something with me, I have lost. I am a loser. I'm not doing what Jesus told me to do. But if I bring a friend, boom, I am at the, the top of the scale. And, and, and the challenge there is that is a metric that is, one, it's not biblical, but two, it leaves us wanting, right? So what we have to do is we have to create a new culture with the way we talk about ministry and what we do in ministry. And it begins with you and me, right? You know, I want to close by letting you know that uh, about five, six years ago, I was working at a Christian publishing company, Lifeway, um, the largest on the planet, actually. And I had spent 13 years prior to that in full-time ministry, and I was doing ministry at this organization, and I had served as a, a college pastor, a youth pastor, an internet pastor, spiritual formation pastor. I mean, I'd done a lot of different stuff, and, and I was working with ministry um, for an additional decade as I began serving as a group leader, as a senior in high school back in 1991. I mean, I invested two decades in the ministry if you, if you add it all up. And one night I got a call from a friend and he said, Chris, would you be interested um, in talking to uh, Pastor Robbie? He was the pastor at my, my current church, Long Hollow, and uh, about a position at Replicate. And I was like, I, I don't even know what Replicate is. I love what I'm doing at Lifeway. I'm not interested. And I mean, uh, there was not even a question in my heart about it. And he said, well, would you be willing to go to lunch with him? And I was like, oh, I can't be anything wrong with that, right? So I sat down. Uh, that was probably my mistake uh, with him. And I researched the organization. I presented a little plan to him. I was there, hey, maybe this stuff will help you out. You know, I'm happy with where I'm at, but maybe this will help you out. But as we began to talk, as I sat down with Pastor Robbie, um, he looked at the plan. He thought it was cool, but he asked me this question, and I want to ask you this question right now. Do you want to do what you've been doing in ministry for the rest of your life, or do you want to make disciples? Now, I don't want to negate anything you've done in ministry because, as I just told you, I've done a lot in ministry up to this question, but the reality is no one had ever asked me that question. And I don't know what your role is in student ministry. I don't know where you serve. I don't know how long you serve. But let me ask you this. Do you want to manage events and programming, or do you want to make disciples? You know, do you want to present great sermons, teach great lessons, oversee great games, or do you want to make disciples? Do you want to manage the nuts and bolts of the church, Insert your job description here, right, as a volunteer or paid staff member, or do you want to make disciples? You know, when it comes to multiplication, when it comes to you and me thinking about multiplication, it takes disciples to make disciples. And I don't know about you, but I want to spend the rest of my life and the rest of my ministry investing in something that will last for eternity. Pastor Robbie told me this. He said, there's only three things that last forever. God his word, and the souls of men and women. I want to invest in those things that last for eternity, not the temporary things here that take up so much of my time and so much of my attention. And I believe you're that type of leader as well. So would you join me as we think through discipling our students, seeing multiplication happen, equipping students to embrace the call that God has given them to the Great Commission, as you and I embrace the, God that God, the call that God has given us for his great commission and wholeheartedly pursue him to make disciples who make disciple makers. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.